This will also attract multi-diverse workforce environment in Europe. It's not just only Europeans, yeah. It's multi-diverse, so I think rely on the general workforce and make and prepare the environment accordingly. This is a very big opportunity. You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders and industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host, Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Hi, Ingo. Welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. Hey, Benjamin. Thanks for having me here as one of your interview partners. Looking forward to this interview. Likewise. Great to have you on the show. Ingo, could you give me a short overview of who you are and what you are doing? Yeah. For sure. So my name is Ingolf Schröder. I'm the executive member of the board of the ATNS, an Austrian headquartered company in Leoben, near Graz, since almost three years now. April 1st, we have changed a little bit our operating model. Maybe I come to this in a point. And since that, I'm adding in addition also the business unit microelectronics. Before that, I was over 25 years in various operational functions with a big German light manufacturer located in Austria. Before we dive deeper into your role, into your business life, help me to understand a little bit better how ATNS is operating in general. Of course, I mean, it's very important to understand. So ATNS, as mentioned, headquartered in Austria in a fairly nice location near Graz, Leoben. So we are a leading kind of technology provider along the megatrends. So we are staying in a very close partnership with technology leaders in the very close uh, semiconductor environment, if you like. So we are, so to say, a European company with a scalable global footprint. We have, as ATNS, two business units. After a change of the operating model, one of the business units I'm heading, in addition to my responsibility, which is microelectronics. And this position, microelectronics, we're serving so-called integrated circuit substrates as the part in between the silicon or the die, if you will, and the PCB, the main board, to translate the signals from the die into a system. So this is what we are doing. So it's a very much high-end driven technology. The other business unit we are having in our structure is running electronic solutions, which is very much along the high-end PCBs, so high-end printed circuit boards, serving into consumer devices, like mobile phones, everyone has one most likely automotive or industrial solution and also medical application. Sounds like a remarkable company and you already mentioned that you are operating globally. Help me to understand how did ATNS evolve from a very small company at the beginning into a big enterprise which has more than 15,000 employees currently. 
Yes, absolutely. So it's a remarkable journey indeed. And what we have done over the last years, so maybe start earlier. So ATNS was founded in 1987. So it has already a pretty long history and started with printed circuit boards in Austria, in Leoben. And we, we start this remarkable journey of the expansion and the also expansion of the potential applications we are serving into a market we are serving into 2001, where we built up our first China site in Shanghai. We had some acquisitions in Korea in 2006. In 2009, roughly in this time frame, we are focused on high-end mobile devices. So we enter into mobile business even more on the, on the high end. We moved into this automotive and industrial plus medical product. So just to give you maybe a couple of ideas about the products maybe we are serving. So you cannot leave ATNS aside, for example, in this nice device here, ATNS is inside. So like in many other cell phones as well, if it comes to hearing aids, for example, or the ATNS is with printed circuit boards inside on almost, I wouldn't say every chip, unfortunately not. But in many of the packages today used in the notebooks and tablets, in desktop PCs, or even in server farms, ATNS is part of. So we are very, very broadly distributed with lots of different applications and products in there. In front of me, there's a MacBook right now. I'm using Android smartphone. So you say, I, of course, will be in touch with some of your products in my daily life. Yes. Even I cannot talk about the customer name specifically because <laughs> of contractual reasons. But there's a high likelihood that we are in there on this point, yeah. And the journey is not over. And this is the nice and interesting thing. So the 15,000 employees you just mentioned is a broad milestone, but it's by far not the end. So we are running at the moment two big capacity expansions, one in Austria, which is great to have a stronger European footprint then, where we build up a new site. We're heading another roughly five to 700 workforces there. And we are running another big site in Malaysia with maybe up to 7,000 new employees. So I think sooner or later, we will even pass the 30K employees. Awesome to see how your company is scaling and what your plans are in right. terms of scaling even further. We will come to the challenges as well on that path. Before we do that, Ingolf, I like to talk about operating models, understanding manufacturing business better, but I like to go hands-on as well. And mm -hmm. I would like to understand how your factories are looking like. So if you talk about the products which you are producing, assume you would take me on a walk through one of your factories. Help me to understand how this is looking like there. I would like to take you on a mental journey, so to say, on our high-end sites, which is in the very close to semicon operations from setup in China today and also in future in Hinterberg in Austria and as well in Malaysia. So as said, we are serving into the super high-end markets for microelectronic application. If you want to play in the supply chain of the big guys, the Intel, the Dells and so forth in the market, you have, of course, to adjust your environment of how to run operation, how you do the operation in a very close and similar way. So just to give you a glimpse of what we're doing in China, we have facilities and fabs, if you will. Where we are running with 80,000 square meter production floor with clean room conditions. So all the employees in 24-7 operation running in a so-called bunny suit. So after all the clean room dresses wearing during your operation, we have to have very, very tight control on particles. But every single particle, even half of the size of a human hair, is, it could cause significant technical issues and, of course, lots of waste. So it's very much environmental controlled. It's highly automated. 
it's fully data-driven and connected with an EMEA system. So it's the top notch of the electronics and the high end. So it's very close to Semicon, even it's not Semicon, but we are moving more and more in this direction. So it's a very CAPEX intense operation, as you might can imagine. And since the product cycles, think on mobile, think on even notebooks, accelerating very fast from generation to generation. Also, we have to follow on our investment cycles in a way. So we need to stay flexible on the one side, but still heading for profitable growth at the same time. You mentioned that you have a high automation level and you are relying a lot on data. But on the other hand side, you say there are people in that factory, your worker, your employees in body suits. So which kind of task are they conducting? Is it more like maintenance work? So typically we have, let's say, two categories. I would say maybe there are more categories, but for make it easier and more transparent, we have two categories. We have the blue color worker, which are mainly for, you know, handling activities where we have not a fully automation right now. So when it comes to moving parts and, you know, loading and unloading, for example, of equipments, where we have not an automation in place yet, there's maybe lots of blue color activities. And then we have these higher skilled if you were a skilled worker, we're doing the advanced and permanent maintenance and upgrades of the machines, where the steering, the process parameter, where they unload and load recipes of the products. So those kind of things are the two categories. And there are lots of different groups in the plant on the way. There are some quality-related guys. There are some technical development or improvement guys on the way. There are some operational guys. So there are lots of different activities ongoing. It's just a normal huge site. It's not so much differencing or variating from maybe other industries. The only difference is that everyone is wearing the clean room addresses and has to focus on specific tasks. Ingolf, we are living in rough times. With Corona, we have been confronted with a lot of new challenges. After that, the Russian invasion into Ukraine brought substantial economic problems and the energy crisis. As a COO, you need to take care of the operations and you need to take care that they are running 24-7. How did the last three years affect your own life and your business life? Maybe I start with my own one. So I entered into the ATNS at the peak of the corona. So, and still, I was not able to visit even every site because of the travel restrictions. So this virtual approach kind of become very fast and new normal and it's still in daily life, I think, pretty good implemented. I've never thought about that we can even negotiate contracts with customers on a virtual basis without you know, shaking their hands. But in fact, it was possible. So we have decided, for example, for big investment in Malaysia and we are spending 1.77 billion euro in the next couple of years in Malaysia, almost fully virtual. So this, this is incredible, but it's possible. So, but, but back to what you just said, yes, there are lots of big changes in the ecosystem, starting with the pandemic, moving on with the US-China restrictions, maybe with the European war, with the energy crisis, things like that. It has an impact, but I'm proud to say, especially during the pandemic, we have not any single day of lost operation to our customers, especially in China. We were able to manage everything on a smaller scale level, but we are still were able to maintain at least 70-75% of our operation. And this is, I would say, an extremely outstanding result and is a clear demonstration. We are pretty good prepared and we could adopt our supply chain or internal operations and operating processes in a very efficient and fast way. In the last decade, we talked a lot about resilience. 
resilient yes. manufacturing, resilient operations. But I have the feeling that in the last three years, with that challenges which you mentioned, which we talked about, this word got even more important. So I would like to understand how resilience or what does resilience mean for you and why is it important for manufacturing companies? Yes, resilient. There were many other, let's call it passwords in the past. And in the last days, of course, resilience is one of the most used words. But resilience was always before on our radar screen when it comes to operation. So for me, what does it mean? It means whatever happened in your ecosystem, in your environment, you have to manage it in a way that you are able to fulfill your contractual obligations towards your customers. Or in other words, you have to deliver what you promised. And how you set this up, this is very now the challenge. And this is yeah one of the major tasks because of maybe so many impacts at the same time. So just only the pandemic. With the pandemic came the logistic constraints. It comes the energy increase. And it comes the shortage here and there for having the goods received or even you know, sent out the goods. So there are lots of things ongoing, but it's very, very important to focus first on your individual ecosystems and then derive out of this sufficient strategies, how you can answer and how you stay intact. And flexibility, shorten on your lead times, close communication and cooperation, even with your customers and also with your supplier. This is, I think, one of the key recipes to withstand in this kind of difficult environment. Resilience also means, in principle, that you have the chance to maneuver a little bit and you shift in case you have here a problem, you shift to there, right? In our case, It would be a very ideal world, but because of this CAPEX-rich industry we are in, I cannot even change overnight or even in a couple of days or months operation for me to be because it comes along with massive qualification and approval and also reliability tests from customers. Like this will not work. So we have to focus really on the local ecosystem and try to find ways to maneuver. And what we have figured out in especially last three years, it's not a question of having long-term plannings in place anymore. You have to focus on the things that really matter and you have to think and to learn how to adapt your processes and your algorithms from a day-to-day -day perspective, maybe from a day-to-week perspective. This you have to find and you have to manage. So it's a little bit in a way of coming from the big picture in a way to a kind of micromanagement because you have to deal with things on a daily basis which you never would thought it would be of importance before. Maybe I can give you just one example of what does it mean. So when we had the lockdown in China end of last year, Shanghai was already locked down for more than seven weeks. We were able to host and accommodate more than 2,000 employees on our site for seven weeks. You can imagine what kind of burden those people carry also with respect to their private lives and their families. They were locked in the site. But you have to take care about, you know, these clean room and this washroom articles, food supply, beside all the other things. So this means resilient. You have to find ways to maneuver through the labyrinth, if you will, and how to manage your output and your operation. And we had a great team and we made it through. And as I said, I'm proud to say we have lost any day of operation in even these difficult times. ATNS is a company which have been founded in Europe. It's a European company, but right. we are acting globally. Do you see concrete challenges for European countries, European companies these days and in future, which you have to tackle very concretely? Absolutely. And this is also nothing which is simply, you know, bypassing ATNS. So as I said, we are headquartered in, in Europe, in Austria. 
and we are building right now a new plant serving into this high-end microelectronic market in Austria. So there are lots of challenges, known ones, which you call, of course incorporate right from the beginning, but also on ones which pop up during the last couple of months or even days. And I think everyone in Europe is talking about this is the access to qualified labor for and workforce and labor force. And this is not just only a thing which affects on a high level Germany and Austria or let's say Central Europe. So it's entirely spread it. So I think that enterprises in Europe, they have to open up their minds and find ways on the one side to educate the right people living in Europe to be able to take over these responsibilities, but on the other hand, like to welcome also the workforce from abroad. Welcome workforce from abroad also brings other challenges with like how to integrate those peoples. Because usually they come with families, yeah, where you can provide international schools, kindergarten, environment also, how to integrate those workforce into the, the daily So this will have some impact. The other thing is the cost competitiveness in Europe. So usually European global player, if you will, as the name already said, they are in a global competition. So, and I feel sometimes a little bit frustrated, to be honest, about the regulatory requirements Europe is creating and the impact on the global competitiveness. Does it mean we should not have a kind of regulation here and there? But in some cases, we overregulate. And if you serve into a very competitive price and cost-driven environment like we are in a high-tech industry, you have to find ways to maneuver through this topic. So this is a big challenge. And I think Europe needs to stay ahead in a way that we have always innovative ideas, automation. I mean, a couple of years we talked about industry 4.0 solutions, things like that, right? But in fact, it's likely like that. So data-driven decision-making, highly automated processes, innovative products. I think this is the only key where central European player can survive. It's possible because you can see even many of the big semicon players, they even invest in Europe also to change their global footprint. Maybe it's also an opportunity out of this global environment and political constraints we have that even the big players are focusing more on local to local presence or even European presence, US presence, China presence or Asian presence. So this gives also opportunities in this yes. global perspective. So it's a very interesting dynamics that yeah. we're ongoing. You mentioned a lot of super interesting points and I have to go into them step by step. One question I have regarding regulation. Do you think we are on the right trend right now that we are decreasing the regulation or are we even adding regulation on top right now? Is it the right direction in which we are going? I think we are over-regulating here and there. So this is just my personal opinion. And I think it would be very, very good to have kind of lobby war with an influencing factor on those kind of topics coming especially from the European unions. When it comes to taxonomy topics or reporting topics and requirements, it always requires you have to add resources, you have to build up costs, but you have to withstand also in the global competition as said before. So I think it would be worthwhile to also see the second side of the medal. I understand it from a European perspective, no doubt. But again, if you stay in a global competition and no one is having this one on the other side, it brings you in a fairly bad position, to be honest. And this needs to, over, needs to be overcome. I think the first steps moving in the right direction. So there's for Europe also a kind of European ship act, if you will, that we try to bring high-end technology player into Europe which is the right way. But I think also now with the regulation and the local countries, they have to prepare the environment and the structures for them to become successful. 
Okay, Ingolf, you say you are right now building a new factory in Austria. Is one of the solution for the current challenges right now or tackling the current challenges that the globalization is over? Or how do you see that for 18S in the next decade? Will you focus more on Europe or what is the solution? So we have decided a pretty intensive selection process to run a R&D center out of Europe. I think for us, it's very important to have our capability and knowledge concentrated at one site, at one location. And from here, we can derive out and spread and roll our technologies into the entire world. So, but back to your question, I think there is a change already ongoing on a global perspective. I think there will be even driven by the idea to bring a high-tech player to Europe, Semicon player, for example, yeah? like the TSMCs or the Intels or those kind of guys, or even Infineon to Europe. This will create an environment also where the supply chain will grow, right? And this mm -hmm. gives a big opportunity. So that's why I think in future we will hopefully have more opportunities also in our environment to play with and to interact with European-based players. Some of those kind of small seeds are already visible and hopefully together we can plant them and to let them grow. So this most likely will have a change and this gives, as I said, lots of opportunities. And maybe it will be more like local for, and it's not local for local, but it's in a way that we are producing in Europe for Europe, maybe, or in US for US, in Asia for Asia. But nevertheless, we are in a global environment. So it's not, you know, just black and white. So there will be a mixture. And you mentioned that you are planning to build a research and development or a innovation center in Europe. So in this new site, we are building up in Austria. It's twofold. One, we have a small scale substrate fab for this integrated circuit substrates. And at the second side, in the same building, we have the top notch new R&D center where we can implement and run and test, of course, also new technologies, new equipments, new ways of processing and production. So this brings us very big step forward. And then we have the opportunity because of the size of this operation in Austria to even have small-scale tests and trial runs out of the R&D into the centralized operation. So hopefully this could, you know, accelerate our capability in terms of stay productive, stay competitive, and contribute ideas to best support our customers. Mm -hmm. I would like to stick a little bit longer with that innovation and technology theme. Which capabilities do you need as a resilient manufacturer and how can technology support that? That's a very complex question and it's of course not, not easy to answer. At least for, for our industry, yeah? it starts on the one side, you need to have a certain history and you need to have a certain capability and expertise, mm -hmm. right? That is number one. So you have to rely on your experts and workforce. But this is not everything to stay a little bit ahead of the curve even you now, if you will. You need to team up with your customer and with your suppliers. So in ATNS, this uh, in between, I would say. So partnering is very important. You have to understand in which direction technology is moving. And then you have to identify what does it mean for me and what does it mean maybe for your own supply chain. And if you kind of early enough engage with the various different players, then you are able to stay ahead. So for our R&D center in terms of resilience and also in terms of capabilities, we are focusing also on energy efficient solutions, for example. 
So our industry is very resource intense. So we need lots of water. We need lots of energy. Finding ways to overcome this and maybe leave the past like we have done this in the past and move completely in other dimensions and maybe also steal shamelessly from how others are doing it in mm -hmm. terms of how they are processing, yeah? Not stealing IP, don't misunderstand this, but how they are doing it, yeah? And kind of defining breakthroughs. This is the point. We need to find breakthroughs where we can really move ahead, not just incremental, that we have some disruptive changes, and this could be contributed, hopefully provided also by our European teams. When we go a little bit deeper into technology, right now we have exciting times. There's a big AI progression. A lot of things yeah. are happening right now. Do you have specific technology topics right now where you are taking your own focus on AI, robotics, and you can use them to solve some of the current challenges? Yes. So I said our shop floor is highly automated already and very much connected and data-driven. So using AI, for example, pattern recognition, when it comes to inspection processes, we have lots of inspection processes in our operation, is already implemented. So we are, from my perspective, pretty advanced underway when it comes to usage of such fancy, if you will, the technology opportunities. So we try always to find ways where we can get rid of sensitive and complex products and try to use also these kind of network activities or even artificial intelligence and pattern recognition stuff to implement small processes. That's the only way to stay ahead of the curve, as said. And this needs to be implemented and rolled out into the entire ATNS. So this is, of course, very interesting and it's super complex. But you can also see it on a daily basis in the environment outside. The megatrend of data demands because of AI, because of autonomous driving, because wow. of usage of intelligent devices, connected devices, things like that. Permanently ongoing. Even so, there is a small dip now in the semicolon, yes, but a typical, so, but the, the mid and long term trend is still in place. So there are lots of new opportunities ahead of us and the design of the chips will be even more complex. So you have the chiplets in the future where not one is serving all the functions. You have one for the graphics, one for other things. So there will be a very, very high dynamics in the next couple of years and the number of data you have to store, for example, or if you provide lots of data or create data, you have to use it. Mm -hmm. You have to calculate, you have to kind of use some patterns out of it, but you have to store them also. So there are lots of activities ongoing for servers and how to make them energy efficient. So this is quite a very interesting segment of the current development. At the beginning of the interview, we talked about the workforce in your factory. And now we talk about technologies, AI, robotics. I think even the combination of AI and robotics will be very big in future if robots can learn much faster and can adapt some of the manual processes within minutes. How do you see the role changing of your workforce in the next 10 years? Will you have more data analysts in the factory than people who are doing inspections, like you said? What is your vision? Yeah, first of all, I mean, there's always the fear When it comes to technology changes, all of a sudden you get rid of all your human beings, right? But I can tell you this will not happen. So we are not talking about our ideal future world to have a dark set. That yes. is for sure not the case. But as you rightly said, maybe there's a shift in the spectrum and the necessity and which capabilities our workforce in the future will have. There will be most likely less and less low-skilled workplaces, at least in our industry. And it will move more in an advanced environment. 
So I think it's important for lots of, in future, for lots of people to have a basic understanding how this interconnected process is working. How you can use of data. It does not mean that you need a data analyst for running those things. They have to take care to make it so easy, adoptable, that let's say a normal, don't misunderstand normal nowhere, that a normal operator or maybe a normal engineer mm. can benefit of it. So the environment will change. But the important thing is how we can use the support from systems to make the right decision. And what I said in the beginning is data-driven decision process will move and will bring new opportunities. There will be shifts, but we will not get rid of phosphorus. Ingolf, we are coming closer to the end of the interview. At the end, I would like to go a little bit more hands-on and into your experience. You said you jumped into the ATNS operations during COVID, and I can assume that there have been a lot of transformation projects, a lot of things that needed to be changed. Do you have one of the transformation projects where you say, I learned a lot and I would do something again and probably I would, wouldn't do something again, some, some of your learnings from the transformation? Yeah, as I already in the beginning stated, the new normal because of these big changes we had in the last years is moving from physical to virtual. So and in many areas, which was not possible in a way, even maybe it would be possible, but it was not possible to stay in the distant direction. So what I experienced, you can drive virtual activities to a certain point if you have no other choice. But at the end, it's very important also to have the face-to-face -face opportunity. It's different if you shake the hand and you stand in front of your customer or your partner and that you can talk even beside you know, the screen with someone. So this is one of the aspects that works quite well, nevertheless, for these challenging three years. But I think you have to be a healthy and reasonable mixture also in the future. There will be a change for sure. And not everything is needed. You have not to fly on a daily basis from A to B. This you can do differently. And this gives also a big contribution back to our environmental and social responsibility, which is important as well. But what I also have learned, the ability and capability to adjust fast when the environment at the outset changed so dramatically, I think nobody expected that this is possible. And how efficient and how tight even the community in the ATNS was sealed together during this crisis is outstanding. And I'm absolutely great for all that we have achieved and for all these hurdles we could take. I think we have done this pretty well. And I mentioned also in the beginning One of my most exciting things in the last three years was we have made the decision of having ATNS the largest investment ever so far in Malaysia during the peak season of the pandemic. So dealing with government, dealing with customers, dealing with construction sites and things like that, make a location selection without being one site is something I'm absolutely proud of. Even so, we have even managed during the corona to visit them, those kind of things. Yeah, so we have made it and lots of learnings and hopefully we can implement things, especially in this virtual environment. Also in the future, there will be for sure a couple of things which we will never stop anymore. I guess mm -hmm. the flexibility of how to deal with your workforce, not on the shop floor. You have to be present, no doubt. But all the supporting functions when it comes to home office regulations, things like that, plays a more and more important role also when you try to attract and to hire other people. So this will not change again back. So this kind of always, it's a bit bullish work-life that has also plays quite a big role. So this is also a big change in the last three years I observed. Okay. We are coming to the last question and we are taking view into the future. Ingolf, how do you envision the future of manufacturing companies in Europe? 
So which role will they play 10 years from now for the European economy? 10 years from now, Europe has, I think, a very good opportunity to come closer again in terms of high-end technologies on a global perspective. So there are already very good signals in Central Europe, as mentioned before, in Germany and Saxonia with all the semicon players, or even in Italy with also some, some semicons. I think the opportunity here is if you bring the big guys in here, the environment will also have a certain dynamics. So you need to have a supply chain there. Today, there is no supply chain, but in future, there is maybe also supply chain. When you have supply chain, then maybe you need some, you know, recreational things, which adds another opportunity in Peru. So I think there is a good opportunity to play in this high-end market. Automation innovation is key for sure to have this one, but this will also attract multi-diverse workforce environment in Europe. It's not just only Europeans, yeah. It's multi-diverse, so I think rely on the digital workforce and make and prepare the environment accordingly. This is a very big opportunity. So there is no, let's say, switch off the light for Europe in future. I think there's a big chance Europe can develop and can play um, somewhere in the top league of the big players then. Sounds like an optimistic picture. Bingo. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. I learned a lot. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Thank you, Benjamin. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.